Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's almost Valentine's Day. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, it probably will be Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about uh, a few movies that uh, are either set primarily during Valentine's Day or have uh, key scenes that are Valentine's Day related. Just a couple of Super Bowl items that we want to clean up here. Oscars are just around the corner. I've got just a kind of a fun little tidbit. And how about those Dunkings? We're going to talk about the Dunkings, all of that and much, much more. Plus, of course, reviews of some new stuff coming out, some really good stuff and then some other stuff as well. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes. They got the web design, the web development, the e-commerce, the mobile apps, and the digital marketing, all to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com. Thanks, as always. I am in the beautiful AmericanEagle.com studios just outside of Chicago today doing the podcast. Also, thanks, of course, to Portillo's for being with us uh, for years now, for a couple of years now. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about Portillo's at the break. But uh, here's uh, the first thing I want to get to. We are just a couple of days uh, after the Super Bowl. I, I know we're getting close to being Super Bowled out. We find it kind of depressing because we're no football of any kind. I, I don't know. There's the something FL or the fake ass this or flag football, but basically no football until late August. Uh, and it's always, I'm like, ah, I, I love basketball. I'm a hockey fan, love baseball, but there's still the ritual of football. And one of the things I think that makes football such a huge thing in America and now more and more globally as we're getting more and more international games and there's more games coming up in different countries. And it was really cool on Super Bowl Sunday to see viewing parties in various countries where people are into it. And that's awesome. But it still remains an event. You know, there are 17 regular uh, season games in the NFL uh, and then a few playoff games. So it's still, you know, that Sunday ritual. If you're lucky enough, I'm in Chicago. Of course, if you're in a, in a city that has an NFL team, you get eight or nine home games, maybe even 10 or 11 if you're in the playoffs. So it still becomes a magical thing. Listen, it's still, you know, Exciting to go to a baseball game, but you get 81 games in your home city. Basketball and hockey, you get 40 games. Uh, even college basketball, you know, if you're in a college town, you're getting 16 or 18 home games. Football, it's still, you know, sometimes like you might go three weeks without having a game in your hometown. So the Super Bowl, folks, set the all-time ratings record. This is from Variety. The February 11th Super Bowl game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers brought in an average of 123.4 million viewers, making it the highest number of people watching the same broadcast in the history of television. All the shows, all the Super Bowls, all the series finales, all the major news events, 123.4 million viewers 112 million of those viewers were tuned into the cbs broadcast then there was paramount plus nickelodeon univision cbs sports nfl digital paramount global all these streaming things that come into play as well now in terms of percentage i would my guess would be uh that 
I don't know if this is the highest percentage of, of people watching things because sometimes you had, you know, you had a lower population. I think it might still be the U S population right now, uh, is 330 million. Of course, some of the, some of these viewers were global, but the vast, vast majority were in the United States. That, that number is insane. That's like one out of every three human beings, uh, were watching this. And when they say an average of 123.4 million viewers, that means probably when the game went into overtime or it was getting close that, that the audience probably was closer to 130 million. Cause some people might've tuned out. The game was quite dull in the opening stretches or, you know, casual fans might've said, I'll just tune in for the last quarter. And then by the time we get to the overtime, it was probably more than 130 million viewers. And we've talked about this before, you know, sports, live sports is that one thing along with, of course, breaking news and elections and things like that, that you have to watch in real time. You're not going to record the Super Bowl, I don't think, unless you have some sort of job where you're out uh, you know, in a lighthouse and no one's going to, and you don't want to go on social media. No one's going to tell you what happened. The fun of it is the communal experience, whether you're there in person or everybody watching on TV. And then we're all joining in on the Twitter and everything. So the numbers are crazy. 123.4 million viewers, which just again goes to show you that any talk about people who were saying they weren't watching the NFL anymore, you know, people have been boycotting the NFL for forever now because take a knee, got, they got offended by that. And I don't know, Bud Light or you know, Taylor Swift and blah, blah, blah. And all the people who say they aren't watching are watching. They might be hate watching, but they're watching. I'm going to flip to this real fast too. The Super Bowl commercial has evolved and changed, I guess, over the years. Uh, as recently as I would say about 10 years ago, uh, you didn't get to see the Super Bowl ads until the Super Bowl. And you, the next day you'd have all the USA Today prominently did it. Tons of other media outlets. They'd rank all the Super Bowl ads and then people would you know talk about them and which ones they loved and hated. And now they have teasers for Super Bowl ads. And then a lot of times the Super Bowl ads themselves are available online. So it doesn't quite have the event uh, level magnitude or impact. It still costs a zillion dollars. I think it's $8 million this year for a spot. But I think one of the spots that people really loved was the Dunkings Dunkin' Donuts bet with uh, Matt and Ben and uh, Tom Brady as this sort of, you know, god-awful band in the crazy outfits. I don't think you should do this. Last year she came to my work. Now I got to show her what I can do. He's here. Ah, flat on the track. What up, Brooks? For your consideration, here comes the Boston Massacre. The Dunk Keys. Touchdown, Tommy, on them keys. Player coach. Got it. I'm open. And need no introduction, my partner. Sometimes it's really hard to be your friend. You said you were going to support me. Dunk Keys. Don't, don't go away. My heart. Why you dunking me, girl? Why you dunking me? Dunk Keys. My heart. How do you like them donuts? I'm so sorry. You had to see it, but I forgive you. Lay us on the track. Are we going to be on the album? We talked about this. Let's go. You're blinded by them pinstripes. Wrap it up. Here goes Babe Ruth. Tom, you can stay. You remember when I told you I'd do anything for you? This is anything. Chill. They're naming a drink after us. Yeah, um, that is one of the highest rated in terms of viewers, you know, weighing in and critics and everything. Uh, ben repping the donut company and getting uh, Matt and Tom to uh, come along and join the Dun Kings. Now, believe it or not, this is actually very smart because I, I was like, they should sell those track pants. Well, they were. Uh, Dunkin, Dunkin Donuts was selling the Dun Kings outfits. Uh, as of this podcast, they're sold out. I'm sure they're going to make lots, lots more. 
Um, you are going to see a lot of bros come Halloween. It's an easy thing. You put on the, the, the horrible, wonderful orange and pink uh, tracksuit. You get the pink glasses and you're the Dunkings. So Dunkings doing very well. Congratulations to everybody there, Matt and Ben. And growing up, they've known each other since they were like, I don't know, 14 and 12, something like that. And they're still, still fun and friends. I watched a little Goodwill hunting the other day, just after seeing the Dunkings thing. I'm like, God, they were so young. They were so young when they won the best uh, Academy Award for best uh, screenplay. And they're so, they look so young in, they are, they're kids in the film. Great, great film. Uh, and we're speaking of movies, as I mentioned, I'm recording this the day before, uh, Valentine's day guys. So I think it'll be available. I know it'll be available on the 14th and with Valentine's day, we think of not, and, and there are a lot of lists out there about the most romantic movies. If you want to see the notebook or something like that, but I wanted to talk just quickly about, uh, actual Valentine's day themed, uh, movies in one television episode. Uh, and people, you might think of uh, when you hear Valentine's Day, you think of the movie Valentine's Day from 2012, which is a terrible film. I, I know some people have a soft spot for these New Year's Day, these Gary Marshall films, Valentine's Day. And it's it, they're like basically it's like two hours of mini Hallmark or Lifetime sappy love story uh, movies all crammed into one. They're very corny. They're not offensive or anything like that. They're, and they're, they're very competently made. And for whatever reason, huge stars love to be in, 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 in those types of movies. So if you love it, good for you. It, it's kind of tough to sit through. But listen to the cast for Valentine's Day in the 2012 movie. Jessica Alba, Kathy Bates, Jessica Biel, Bradley Cooper, Patrick Dempsey, Jamie Foxx, Anne Hathaway, Shirley MacLaine, Ashton Kutcher, Julia Roberts, and do you remember who else was in there? Taylor Swift. That's right, Taylor Swift. She played like this. Uh, uh, she had a crush on the dude, uh, the uh, Taylor Lautner. Is that his name? The guy from the 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 the, uh, the you know the vampire movies, the Twilight movies, the Wolf Boy. And he's on the I think he's on the track team, and she's got a big crush on him, and she plays like this little valley girl type of thing. So look at that. So uh, how did you guys meet? It's really funny, actually. Like, I was not into him at first. He used to shoot spit wads at me in Spanish class, which is like so junior high. Oh. But then one night I was brushing out my hair when I got home and I found this spit wad, but it was really a note and it said, what's up? And I was like, that is so cute. And then I liked it. Oh my God, baby, are you okay? Walk it off, baby. Just walk it off. You're still hot, baby. You're still hot. Wow, you rolled out of that like a ninja. He's usually really good at those. Yeah, well, he's quite the athlete, and you're quite the dancer, huh? Five, six, oh. seven, eight. No, I think we're, I think we're okay. We, oh no, oh, we haven't seen that one. <laughs> Way to go! Did she tell you the spitwad story? Yes, she did. Yeah, she's mushy like that. <laughs> you like it? I know. Ooh, I miss high school. There you have it, young love, full of promise, full of hope, ignorant of reality. That movie has five Oscar winners in it, by my count: Kathy Bates, Anne Hathaway, Shirley MacLaine, Jamie Foxx, and Julia Roberts. Amazing. It could probably maybe take the title of the worst movie to star that many Oscar winners. Sleepless in Seattle, of course. Tom Hanks is Sam and Meg Ryan's Annie meet at the top of the Empire State Building, I believe, on Valentine's Day. Uh, An Affair to Remember, which is a remake of the 1939 film Love Affair. So, And those are all Sleepless in Seattle, An Affair to Remember, Love Affair, all pretty much the same theme. Ah, I also want to mention 
I think is an underrated slasher film called Valentine from 2001. Denise Richards, Catherine Heigl, David Boreans. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but as I remember it was pretty effective. It had a little bit of the satirical scream thing to it. Uh, you know, kind of did a deep dive on a lot of horror movie tropes. It's basically about a, um, someone gets bullied and then years later gets his revenge on everybody, all the girls who were you know mean. Uh, and they got a kind of Valentine's Day mask. I like Valentine, 2001. And I want to mention there are, of course, tons of Valentine's Day themed uh, TV episodes. My personal favorite is The Office, the Blood Drive episode of The Office. Pardon me, may I have a chocolate chip cookie? I gave blood earlier and I'm still feeling woozy. Of course. That's weird. You got a cotton ball and tape and we've been using band-aids. Uh, oh, I feel so woozy. I just, I don't know. Band-Aids. Remember Michael, newly single? He ends up throwing a, a, a kind of horrific singles party. Jim and Pam have a double date with Phyllis and Bob Vance, who, as you might remember, was with Vance Refrigeration. Uh, and that goes, that takes kind of a body turn. Uh, I love the Blood Drive episode of The Office. A lot of good Valentine's Day stuff. Uh, I had one more thing I wanted to share with you guys. Hold on. This is just kind of fun. Oh, a friend of mine was at the Oscars nominee luncheon, which was on February 12th. This is where all the nominees go and some of the press are there and, you know, studio people and everything. And it's sort of a kind of a cool celebratory thing. One of the nice things is these nominees, they, you know, almost all of them have been on the publicity trail for a couple of months now promoting their films and their, their work. You know, they're not on the Kimmel show or the Fallon show, the night show on the same night, you know, and they're not always seeing each other, even though everybody thinks everybody in Hollywood always sees each other and they're on different uh, and parallel career paths. So it's kind of neat because they all, almost everybody who's nominated shows up for the luncheon. It's a big deal and they get to see each other. And it's kind of nice because it's a month before the Oscars. Everybody kind of knows who's going to win. There are a couple of races that are pretty close, but you can just really celebrate. Uh, but this is just kind of a little, little tidbit for you. The Oscars nominee luncheon, fancy schmancy. First course was an antipasto platter with cheese, vegetables, and charcuterie. Then the main course, and this is where they lost me, folks, okay? King oyster mushroom scallops, vegan and gluten-free. Wild mushroom risotto, roasted Brussels sprouts, maybe carrots, and uh, pea tendrils. That sounds terrible. I'm sure it's fancy and it's good, but I don't like the scallops. I don't like anything with mushrooms. I hate the Brussels sprouts. I'll have a baby carrot. And then for dessert, you got pineapple cake, banana creme, bru creme brulee, peppered strawberry jelly, pina colada mousse, and mango glaze. Jesus, how about a damn piece of chocolate cake? I saw somebody, I, I'm sorry I can't give him credit because I, I don't remember who said it, but somebody on Twitter says, you know Paul Giamatti is going to in and out after that lunch. <laughs> I would have joined him there too. Okay. Just some fun stuff happening in the world of entertainment and sports and all that good stuff. Why don't we take a break? We'll talk a little bit about Portillo's and then we've got some reviews for you. All right, it's time to tell you about Portillo's, the greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're ever having, ever in your life. Let's talk about the hot dogs and all the famous Chicago ingredients. They'll do it for you, so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. That includes the poppy seed bun. Then we could talk about the Italian beef, the sausage, and 
the fries, the salad, the chicken, you name it, all topped up, of course, with the legendary Portillo's chocolate cake. It's fast casual. That means it's better than fast food. You can sit down if you go to one of the restaurants, but it's still super casual. And you can order anywhere in the country via Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Once again, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends from Chicago about it. Portillo's.com. New York City is a whole new level of crazy these days. This is an emergency. Get off the train. That man's trying to kill you. What? Who are you? What is going on? I can see the future. Oh, what the hell? She didn't see that coming? That's <laughs> not how it works. I've seen that man before. So who is he? Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. I recognize you. You live in my building. You're the paramedic. Yeah, you almost ran me over. You don't think this is weird, how we're all connected? It's honestly like the least weird thing that's happened all day. You're showing off. Maybe a little. Okay, that is a clip from Madam Web. This is the latest superhero movie out here. This is an entrant in the, uh, I guess you'd call it the extended Spider-Man universe. It's set, I'm sorry if I, if I don't sound enthusiastic about this, is because it's one of the worst comic book movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's set in the year, uh, mainly in the year 2000, okay? Uh, Dakota Johnson plays Cassie Webb. She's a paramedic. Adam Scott plays her partner. His name is Ben, and that may or may not have something to do with Uncle Ben. It's not clear. But anyway, this Cassie Webb, the Dakota Johnson character, she's a paramedic. Uh, she grew up in a foster situation. She's very resentful of her mother who died giving birth to her some 30 years earlier in the Amazon. She doesn't understand why her mom, who was nine months pregnant, was doing research in the Amazon, but it all has to do with a certain spider that ends up biting the mom. So now we got Cassie Webb in present day. She's working as a paramedic and she starts having these sort of mini flash forwards to the immediate future. And she sees violent things happening and now she's going to prevent them. And she teams up with three teenage girls who are eventually going to become different types of spider women uh, they are played by uh, Celeste O'Connor, uh, Isabella Merced, and Sydney Sweeney. Very thinly drawn characters. So, and you got this 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 guy from 1973. Now he's in present day, and he's a, kind of a ceiling crawler himself, but he's not quite a spider guy. So everybody's almost a spider person. Cassie's powers are not so much physical as psychological and paranormal. Uh, and that's the battle. The, the this dude from the past is now in the present. In present day, he wants to kill the three girls before they kill him because he thinks they're going to kill him in the present. So we've got the present, the past, the future, the parallel present, and it's all very convoluted, and it's all rendered in front of blue screen technology that looks, at, you know, the movie set mostly in 2003. It looks like it was made in 1993. 
And that's an insult to the great films of 1993. But I just mean, in terms of the kind of the look of it and the special effects are cheesy, uh, the way they uh, render uh, Cassie's uh, visions is actually very irritating. It's a, it, it grates on you like Freddy Krueger's nails on a chalkboard. Uh, very talented cast. It's pretty clear that Dakota Johnson, just from the publicity she's been doing for this film, knows it's terrible. And she, it's not that she phones in her performance, but she does it in a way where it looks like she's desperately trying to find an interesting way to deliver horrible dialogue. And unfortunately, nobody can save this film. Uh, terrible script, clunky direction, storyline we don't care about. And it's all used. The whole movie looks like it's a setup for like this extended franchise. And you can mark my words. You can podcast mark my words. They're never making this sequel. They're never doing another Madam Web movie after this. Not only because I think it's going to tank at the box office and it's going to get horrible reviews, but because I think the people involved in this film, unless they sign their lives away, are not coming back. You're not getting Adam Scott. You're not getting uh, Dakota. You're not getting Sidney Sweeney to come back to the Madam Web tangled, mangled universe. So stay away from Madam Web. Now, on the plus side, I did like Bob Marley, One Love. This is the biopic, of course, of the legendary uh, Bob Marley. There's a war going on. Oh, I can't bring peace. I can't even get peace for myself. Rise up this morning. Smile with the rising sun. Three little birds. It's by my doorstep. Sometimes. The messenger has to become the message. Bob, I know it's dangerous. But you're the only one who can unite the people. You're ready, Bob. No guns can stop this message. I want the world to change. This is a very straightforward biopic. It kind of ventures into hero worship at times, the way the camera frames uh, Kingsley Benadire as Bob Marley and the kind of the use of the score, not the soundtrack, but the actual kind of swelling music. Uh, it's a little, you know, very standard and straightforward. But Kingsley Benadire is amazing as Bob Marley he captures the essence of the legendary uh, reggae pioneer who was just, I think, 36 when he died of cancer. Uh, the film focuses on two years in the mid-70s, 1976 to 1978. Jamaica's in turmoil. Uh, Bob Marley wants to do a unity concert. There's an assassination attempt on his life. He moves to London. All of this happened in real life. And um, he then delivers uh, Exodus, which Time Magazine called the most important album of the 20th century. The recording sequences, the performing sequences, I thought were just brilliantly done. And it's interesting because I, I don't talk a lot about other critics, but I know that this, this film is not getting a great reception for some of the same reasons I mentioned. It's very standard uh, biopic, but sometimes it's like, you know, the music is so great and exhilarating and the performance is so good. I don't think they need, there's some flashback gimmicks and stuff. But all I know is if you, if you loved Bohemian Rhapsody, or even liked it, 
He didn't like this. I don't know where you're coming from. And everybody's got their own opinion. But like, I, I look at something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which to this day I think is just mediocre at best. Uh, this is far superior. The music of Queen is great, and Freddie Mercury is great. Rami Malek was good. I wouldn't have awarded him the Oscar, but it's not up to me. But I think this is a superior film. And great supporting cast, great period piece production values. They went to Jamaica. I think they were in London, and obviously sound stages as well. I think it's a fitting tribute to the genius of Bob Marley. Bob Marley won love. That one I gave three stars to. Uh, I also want to mention this is sort of very good timing. I was just whining earlier about the uh, the end of the football season. If you are a football junkie or even if you're just a, a fan of fascinating documentary series, Apple TV Plus is releasing The Dynasty about the New England Patriots. It's called The Dynasty of the New England Patriots. It's a 10-part series uh, basically giving the Patriots the last dance treatment. And when you think about it, there are actually kind of a lot of similarities between the Bulls of the 90s and the New England Patriots of the 2000s and 2010s. Both teams won six world championships, clustered in groups of three with many years in between. In the Bulls case, it was three in a row and three in a row. In the Patriots case, you know, it was spread out a little bit, but both won six world championships. Each team featured what, you know, you could argue is the GOAT in their respective sports in Michael Jordan and, of course, Tom Brady. And both Jordan and Brady were often at odds with management. You know, we all know about Jordan and other teammates, but especially Jordan and Phil Jackson clashes with Bulls GM Jerry Krause. And Brady had this constant power struggle with Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. In pro football, nobody's entitled to anything. You have to go out there and earn it. I was pretty intent on proving myself. We were going to determine the future of football in New England. Patriots are Super Bowl champions! First dynasty of the century. This game is like a narcotic. You're chasing that forever. Breaking news right now. Spygate. Deflategate. Aaron couldn't separate himself from that dark side. That team won enough to become the villain. We worked for Bill, but we played for Tom. Bill tore Brady's head completely off. There's things that are done that can't be undone. I was just trying to hold it together the best I could. This team will be scrutinized, celebrated for as long as the game of football is played. Surface similarities and, you know, listen, I'm not a New England Patriots fan, but I, I didn't hate them either. You know, they were, they were that team that just kept winning, but... What I love about this is they got everybody pretty much to sit down and give interviews. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, in present day, looking back, Randy Moss, a lot of the great Boston journalists who covered the team. And it is pretty amazing because you think of them, oh, the perfect team, and oh, they were just robotic, but they really weren't. They had more than their share of scandals, uh, Spygate and Deflategate, and uh, by far the most profound and horrific and tragic story was that of Aaron Hernandez. You know, they, they drafted this guy out of Florida. He, he fell to, I think, the fourth round because there were off-the-field problems. And, you know, you, you could make the arguments that the, the Patriots enabled him or looked the other way. I think Robert Kraft did everything he could to try to help him, but it, it ended in absolute tragedy with uh, Hernandez eventually convicted of killing Odin Lloyd in 2015, killing himself in prison two years later. I give credit to the filmmakers here they don't gloss over any of this. In fact, there's an entire episode devoted to that uh, dark, dark chapter 
in the Patriots and in the, the history of the NFL. But then you got a lot of fun stuff, too, and lighter side stuff, Rob Gronkowski. Gronkowski tells a great story. The day he got drafted, he got drafted this in the same draft, actually, uh, earlier than uh, Hernandez. And he was already Gronk, so Gronkowski gets drafted. And he and his boys, his bros, they're barking and woofing on stage and jumping up and down. And he gets a phone call, his little headquarters there, from the Patriots headquarters. And it's the Patriots telling him to sit down and shut up that he's overdoing it. And Gronkowski goes, I was on the team for five minutes and I was already in trouble. And I learned there was a certain Patriots way. So it's called uh, the dynasty, the new England Patriots, really fascinating stuff. As uh, you might expect, some interview subjects are more forthcoming than others. Bill Belichick to this day remains a thief of joy. It just, he doesn't want to elaborate on anything. He's, he, he's like, it's, 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 it's fascinating how he still, only wants to grudgingly give credit to Brady. You know, he's the classic coach saying it's all about the team and organizations. We get all that, but, you know, listen, you can give the guy credit too. Uh, great stuff, though. Even if you're, at, like, with the last dance, I think a lot of people who weren't the biggest sports fans in the world just found all the drama and the intrigue and the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, to be really interesting. So that's where we're going to end on a positive note. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.